0: This is yeah.
1: Creator Culture
0: uh, by hashtag paid. Hey, I'm Danny Desatnik, and this is a podcast all about creators. No matter the size of their audience, the creators that come on this podcast are underrated and people I'd want to theoretically invest in. Today's guest is Goar Khan. Goar is making it easier for students to write essays, stay productive, and study more effectively. He's got a signature video style. You'll notice papers and drawings moving in and out of the frame on top of his wooden table while he narrates the story from behind the camera. His style, his content value, and quality of each video has helped him reach over 2 million followers on TikTok. What's more impressive is how he uses TikTok to find new customers for his college admissions business called Next Admit. Before we get to the episode, here are three things about Gohar I think you should know. He was an entrepreneur out of the womb. And his parents encouraged a lot of his inquisitiveness and his entrepreneurial spirit. The second thing is that Gohar started creating content at a very early age. So he's been building this muscle for a long time. And three, he's someone that is very talented as a creative, but also as an operator. And it's amazing that he's figured out how to be successful in both spaces, because many people can't. And with that, let's get to the good stuff. Here's my conversation with Gohar Khan.
2: Did you ever think growing up that you would essentially be a professor on the internet? So definitely not. I think
1: my journey with content creation, like I have been creating since I was like a little kid. I started yeah. posting YouTube videos when I was like 10 or 11, but they were just like gaming videos and stuff.
2: And uh well, here, actually, no, before, well, before, hang on, before you continue to answer and yeah, I yeah. promise I, I will get back to your answer. What was YouTube like, maybe just in terms of like an interface, how you interacted with it? And how did other people around you view YouTube?
1: So I remember when I was like super young, YouTube was kind of seen as like that dangerous website that you should not go on. Like I remember when I was like in elementary school, like I heard some kids talking about YouTube and I was like, oh my God, you guys go on YouTube? And then they were just talking about like all these crazy videos that they saw. But it wasn't until middle school that I've, you know, finally hopped on and Realized that it was just like a normal website. I remember the interface being like I remember like like the big channel banners at the top, but then there was like this little chat community, like this little community box at the bottom of each user's channel page. I remember you could have like channel backgrounds, which was like super cool, and it, it was a lot of fun. I think for the longest time when I was a kid, I just really wanted like one of those channel banners because I'm not sure if you remember like. You would not get a channel banner unless you were like a YouTube partner. And so that was like mm-hmm. my ultimate dream as a kid. But yeah, I think as an interface, like it was it was still pretty intuitive. Like it wasn't too hard to use, like even even though I was like super young.
2: Yeah, honestly, it, it's so it's wild how you have such distinct memories of the interface. Like it just showed to me that shows me how much you cared and how much you liked that place of the world or that place of the internet because it's so vivid in your memory but here I want to go back to what you were saying earlier when I said like did you ever think you'd become the professor on the internet that you did today and you said well you started making videos really early where were you going with that
1: so my initial answer was going to be no but now that I think back to it I remember that for these like video games I would consistently upload like walkthroughs or guides or cheats or little like tips and tricks Hmm. so I guess in a sense, I've really always been uploading like tips or hacks or, you know, I I cheats of some sort. But, Mm. you know, when I was younger, it was in a gaming context. And now that I'm older, it's more in an academic context. So never thought that it would happen, but I think the evolution is pretty natural. And I'm not surprised that it happened given, you know, what I was doing like back in
2: 2010. Mm. Damn. I feel like the the usual path to jumping into content is like you're just doing something stupid. You're you're taking that like small part of the world that you're passionate about and you're jumping into it. And it's cool to see that there's this through line that back then, even how you started, it was more value-add educational aspect of whatever you were talking about. And then similar today. Were you at all aware of that throughout your your life like can you look back and say that makes sense why you always wanted to create like value-add content educational content versus more entertaining content so I think I very quickly realized
1: back then that if you want to get discovered on a platform you have to kind of really face the harsh reality that nobody cares about you as a person and I I was uh, listening to The Colin and Samir interview with uh, Ashley that just came out yesterday. And she was kind of pointing to the same exact fact, which is that, you know, if you want to vlog or make entertaining content, like you have to realize that you can't really start with that. And so that's why Mm -hmm. I think I just angled quickly towards like the value add content, knowing that, you know, SEO was like my best friend in that instance, you know, just to kind of be at the top of the results whenever someone was searching, you know, X game cheats or now in this case, you know, study hacks or how to study for an exam at the last minute. Like, I think that's the
2: angle that I figured out
1: early on. And I think it's just been really helpful in terms of just like a visibility standpoint over the past few years.
2: Have you always been so, I'd say one, self-aware, but two, have like a very observing eye on the world and how things work around you? Because honestly, to think of SEO in this way and to think of, oh, well, this is how I'm going to rank, you're a couple steps ahead of the average person.
1: I would say that I have been very like observational in terms of not only observing like how people, you know, gain views or build an audience, but just also in terms of how to build like quality content. Like I'm very much just like a perfectionist in terms of like trying to figure out how a system works, you know, figuring out the variables that will allow a video to like perform well and then just doubling down on like the format, the style, the hacks, you know, the SEO optimization techniques that really help me kind of grow, you know, an audience. Hmm.
2: What if I flip this, the reality of, let's say the algorithm rewarded people who were just doing the shit that they loved. And I don't know how they figured out or how the algorithm would find out that you're doing what you love. But let's say it somehow had this like big brother way of figuring out you put out content that you love versus content that you think is going to do well. Would you still be doing the same thing that you're doing today? I
1: think to an extent, Because I know that when I started, I was passionate about like the college admission space because when I was in high school, like really, that was the only thing I thought about. I was like, I need to rank first. I need to go to a good college. Like this is the path that I need to take. And so I think that would come out in my content, but not to the extent that it is right now. I feel like there would be a lot more lifestyle content. Like if I could make it big as a lifestyle creator... I feel like that that would be just so fun. You know, just living in the in the big city, kind of pulling off what you might see uh, all these New York vloggers doing. I feel like that would mm-hmm. be a really fun angle to take, but, you know, I'm not not—I'm not kind of aggressively going in that direction, given that what I'm doing is already working.
2: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I was hoping you'd say something like so obscure. Be like, truthfully, I'd be <laughs> someone that would talk about black jackets and, and how they're made. And I just love jackets. I think
1: it, I have noticed a lot of creators posting about like Gen Z nowadays, like they're posting not only about the creator economy, but also about like Gen Z and like mental health and and things along those lines. I feel like if I could just talk about whatever I wanted on the internet Mm
2: -hmm. or
1: just kind of post things for fun, I would want to make like short mini movies that kind of just capture Mm -hmm. the essence of like Gen Z and and kind of like this social media era. Mm -hmm. I feel like making tiny films would just be so, so, so fun, but just kind of Gen Z
2: oriented. So why don't you?
1: Time. It's been on my to-do <laughs> list. I'm like, I, cool. I have this priority cool. list where I'm like, go cool. hards guide content, then this content, and then if time, make, you know, this Gen Z creator economy content. Yeah. Wild,
2: man. What's it like running a business at 23?
1: First word that comes to mind is it's, it's just a ton of fun. Cool. I, Amazing. I, I, I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Like throughout college, I did like a bunch of internships. And... I remember at each of these internships, like I, I did an okay job, but I was just super distracted the whole time because I was like, once I get home, like I just want to work on my business. And it's like, at the time I wasn't creating content, but I had started my college consulting business, which is now super attached to my content. And the whole time I was just thinking about that business. Like I was obsessed. I was like, I, I need to go home, start building this. Like the, the, this is the vision that needs to come to life. And to now be doing that full time is just, incredibly fun and I'm just super grateful.
2: Mm. And you work with your brother, right?
1: Correct. Yep. My brother and I, we co-founded it and he's put in an incredible amount of work. Like I would not be able to run this business without him.
2: It's awesome how there's a a collision of, it's like an experience that you had that you saw an opportunity. Give yourself the opportunity to build this business by also doing something that you love, which is creating content. And you get to do it with someone you love, but I assume which is your brother, like that, those three things at, set, at an age of 23, where usually that you, you kind of figure out that stuff later on in life. Sounds super fulfilling.
1: I agree. And at the same time, you know, sometimes I do think, I feel like shiny object syndrome is always very real in terms of like, could I not be doing this kind of content? Or could I not start this business? And, oh my God, the creator economy is booming. Why don't I make a startup, you know, in the space or something? But I think just taking a step back and realizing what I've built today is something that I would have loved to see years ago. It, it kind of humbles me and, and it does bring a lot of gratitude. It's like, damn, like, you know, this is what I wished for years ago and I should be grateful mm. for this position instead of like obsessing over, you know, all these potential new opportunities that, that might, be, might be available.
2: Yeah. I feel like that's the curse today, man. More- And maybe it's a curse that keeps happening generation after generation as things move faster and information becomes more readily available and you can express yourself at the snap of a finger and whatever is going to continue to happen uh, throughout our lifetime. But the fact of you see so much all the time, I don't know if it's normal. Like when we grew up, you could see some things that were on TV. You could see what your friends were doing. Now you see, like you click a button and you'll see what that, mentor or you'll see what that person you aspire to do is actually doing and so to Mm -hmm. hear that you get to a place where you're okay just doing that one thing or those two things really well even though there's many others that you feel you might be able to attach yourself to that's powerful man how do you how do you continue to remind yourself of that mindset so
1: i think coming to terms with the realities that other creators also face kind of helps me be grateful for the position that I'm in. I think with TikTok and you know what you mentioned about just kind of being able to see everything, I feel like social media in general nowadays does a very good job of showing you what you're not doing or what you're missing out on or what you're behind on or what you should hypothetically be doing, you know, mm-hmm. what city you should be living in, what job you should have, how much money you should be making. And of course you're always gonna only see the top of the top on social media and you're not going to really see like the reality of like, oh, you know, there is a middle to lower class for creators. You know, like, many creators, you know, aren't, you know, making millions of dollars online. And so I, I think just trying to understand what the average typical creator, creator is like makes me feel grateful for the position that I'm in instead of, you know, comparing myself to the top dogs and being like, oh, why am I not like Mr. Beast? Why am I not like KSI? Why, don't, why haven't I done hundred million in sales? You know, like, yeah. uh, I think just grounding myself and also just finding other creators in my niche and just understanding, you know, that we're all in this together, understanding their struggles and their journey helps me, you know, remind myself of, of the position that I'm in and, and the kind of journey that I'm playing,
2: you know. Again, man, so powerful to have that type of mindset. Because again, it's so easy to slip. It's so easy to slip into something else. Um, but you talk about a community of creators around you and being reinforced by the right people. How did you? How do you find the creators that you found that you surround yourself with? And I guess I'll also ask, what do you look for in that creator to join your so-called creator tribe?
1: So, in terms of finding. In terms of like finding creators that, you know, I want to stay connected to or close with, part of it has been cold outreach, not going to lie. Like I think over over the past few months, I have literally just DM creators and I'm like, your content is dope, you know, would love to chat. And then that sometimes plays out. Sometimes it's like, you know, we'll have a call. Maybe you don't vibe that much, whatever. It it just kind of ends there. But then on the other side of things, I think just meeting people in real life, because it's funny. I think Sean is probably one of my closest creator friends currently. And we met back in college. Like he went to BC, I went to MIT, and we met at like a frat party one night. And and, and it it was crazy. It wasn't even about like the creator economy. We just ran into each other. And I knew that he was making YouTube videos at the time. Mm -hmm. And that I one day wanted to, but I hadn't started yet. And I was like, wow, this guy is dope. He was telling me about his camera, you know, what it was like making videos. And so... That's how I would say he kind of joined, you know, my, my creator friend circle. Yeah. And what I just really look for or, or what I think, you know, I, the people that I think really kind of vibe with me are those that aren't too serious. Because I think I have my creators, you know, I've talked to them. And the first thing that they ask me is like, hey, how did you do this? How did you do that? Do you have any value out here? Can you connect me to this person? And, and it feels like a business call almost. And I've had that mm-hmm. conversation with a few creators. I'm like, the, the, no, I, I honestly don't want to talk to you again. Like this, this <laughs> doesn't feel fulfilling in the slightest. Yeah, but yeah. when I've talked to people like Tejas or Sean or like a few other creators, it's just, it feels very natural. And I'm like, you know, these guys could just genuinely be my friends, mm-hmm. even if we weren't doing content. Yeah. I think that's, like, that's, that's a great benchmark for realizing, you know, whether or not someone... Can join like this creator, like tribe circle. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, man. No, I like that mindset. It reminds me of, you know, sometimes at hashtag paid, we'll put on dinners for creators and marketers in different cities. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the time it's driven by like our sales team, and our sales team's like, cool, either these are our clients and we just want to get them more connected to the creator space, or we want to involve both sides of so the conversation, becomes a lot more comprehensive. And I can't tell you how often a salesperson on our team will come to me because I'm usually the one finding the creators to go to these dinners and they'll be like, man, like, how do you interact with a creator? Like, what do you say to them? Uh And I'm like, come on, man. Like, (laughs) We work in this world. How is it that you think that they're so different, so different than the other people that you hang around? They might be more creative outwardly, but he's a homie, she's a homie, he's smart, she's smart, they're funny, they're not funny. Like It's the same thing as marketers and it's funny how sometimes people will just, oh, you're a creator, you're an influencer, you're a celebrity, you're different, which is just not true at all.
1: Yeah, no, and I think it all just boils down to having a genuine interest in what someone else is doing. And, and mm. I feel like you know, in terms of these people, just just be genuinely curious and I feel like that just makes conversations like, with creators or with people in different industries, just so much, so much easier. Just just listen, ask questions, and, and it kind of just flows naturally. Almost, mm. you know, I find that when I talk with other creators, like I'll just ask them about, you know, their creative process, how they kind of deal with stress, burnout, and that just naturally leads to like great conversations.
2: Yeah, well, this is a great conversation so far, but maybe we take be taking to another level. How do you deal with stress and <laughs> and burnout? So.
1: To an extent, I almost want to say I don't. Like, <laughs> okay, like, like the show must fair go plus. on. You know, it's like every single day, come, come to the drawing board, put out the content. Damn. Damn. But as of late, I have been traveling more often. Like I do, cool. like this weekend was in Boston, last week in New York, just trying to reconnect with old friends. That helps a ton. Amazing. And I think that really is it. Like just kind of leaving this room and leaving like the small town that I'm in and just going to the big city, seeing people. That will like rejuvenate me for like weeks, if not months, and then kinda kinda helps relieve a ton of stress.
2: Yeah. now I like that a lot. It's be around the people that you value, be around the people that will it, it it might even be like or let me ask you this, like is it an element of they help you take your mind off that consistent grind that you're all or that consistent wheel that you're always in? Yeah, okay. it, it just feels like I
1: go from like work mode to like life mode where I don't really think about mm. content or the business and helps me really be in the moment. And I feel like I try to practice that at home, but it's just very tough when all these variables and, and like this big light over here, for example, is like behind me. And it's like, I, I, I can't really be, you know, like in the present or think about something else when the only thing I have around me is like all my video equipment. And I'm like, damn, I should just be working
2: right now. <laughs> So, how do you balance the consistent switch between being very creative as a creator and then also having to think operationally and strategically mm-hmm. and all these business buzzwords? But, like, code switching or context switching is probably the, the best way. How do you deal with that every single day? So, I think that, that that's like a great
1: question because I feel like <laughs> that, that, that's like the most difficult part of my day to day. Because I feel like I spend most of my day in like the operational mindset where I'm just mm-hmm. thinking about optimization, variables, business. I'm like, send this newsletter at this time, do these things, you know, make sure the systems are working. And then when I have to enter creative mode, it's tough because I really have to let go of structure. And I think mm-hmm. that's the key. It's like, I want to enter creative mode you know, with this mindset of, okay, like, here's the formula for a great video. Here's how I'm going to make it happen. But it really just doesn't work like that. And mm. so I think just closing out of all my tabs, closing out of closing my notebooks, everything, and just embracing messiness mm. helps me jump into creative mode. And it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's really just about feeling at this point. It's really just about, you know, letting my ideas flow instead of trying to kind of box them in somehow.
2: Yeah, it's funny how there's, you know, people say, oh, like I block out two hours for creative time. And I'm always like, H- how? That, does- <laughs> yeah. that doesn't make <laughs> Any sense, it is the hardest. It's the hardest thing that I find, is yeah. If you have to, uh, an afternoon free, say at work, and you're like, "Cool, I'm, I'm going to do some creative stuff now." I feel like even saying that to myself is the block that nothing creative is mm. going to happen. It's so hard to yeah. balance. So you you're doing both, and it sounds like you put out the, the newsletter, and you're thinking operationally, and you're putting out your content. How do you? Have you found a system with your content like do you batch your content a bunch so that when you're when you're creative and, and inspired you'll go you'll go ham as long as you can, batch that up, and then move to another context
1: i've tried batching videos many times never has worked for me ever mm-hmm. I feel like I just every single day I just I make a new video and it's it's like cool i created a batch recently but then a day later I look back at it I'm like I hate all these ideas I'm scrapping this whole thing and I'm starting from scratch again and that's pretty much how it goes every day
2: crazy man so then
1: how do you come up with your ideas so I really just try to imagine like like a high school student like in my mind I kind of like a persona that I'm talking to and it helps to actually have like a younger brother who's also in (laughs) high school right now and so I see him every day And so just kind of doing like a case study, I'm like, you know, what is he dealing with right now? What are his stressors? Like, Mm. is he, uh, you know, up late at night studying for an exam? Like, is is he kind of stressed with like these math problems? And so kind of empathizing with my audience first, understanding their problems really helps in terms of like coming up with creative ideas and and solutions.
2: Mm. How do you have, maybe the better question is, how do you have the solutions to all of these? Is there an element of, Using Google as your friend, and then taking that info and almost like synthesizing it, or is it pure all experience and you just you, you've taken inventory of everything that was done? How do you how do you share the information that you do? Because again, all of it is so useful, but it seems like mm-hmm. to your point, there's a new video every day. It's like, God, that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of ways. That's a lot of heuristic. That's a lot of tips and tricks.
1: Yeah. So in the beginning, it was a lot of just Google and I think there are some fundamental techniques that almost every academic creator has talked about, you know, Pomodoro, Lightner system, like there's a bunch of different things. Cool. And I think now it's gotten to a point where sometimes I do feel like I'm running out of tips. And so the way that I have to come up with them is like, I take the fundamental building blocks of how people learn, right? Which is like space repetition, active recall, you know, there are just a few principles that are just so fundamental to like studying well. And Mm. then I'll just try to build a layer on top of that. So I'm like, how can I Mm. creatively come up with like a space repetition study method for students? And then it's like, I'll take these building blocks and then I'll try to add like a creative element over it. And Mm. that way I just
2: kind of invent like my own study techniques almost that I just give out. When did you learn these fundamental principles? Like when in your life did you come across them? High school. I
1: think high school, I did nothing but focus on school. And my Wire. only goal was just top of class, go to a top school, and hmm. I would just obsess over, over over studying pretty much.
2: Does that internal competition and drive, can you, can you identify where that comes from? Like is it your parents? Is it an environment? Is it h- how you grew up? Or do you think it's just something innate? I think it very much just comes from within. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really
1: feel any pressure from parents or other people to like, you know, do something or accomplish something is very much just you know, these goals seem sick and I want to accomplish <laughs>
2: them and, and, and I'll kind of do whatever I can to to attain them, you know? So cool, so cool. Yeah, there's that element of, uh, this comes up a bunch on the podcast and it's the idea that when someone can act out of spite or can create out of spite and create successfully out of spite, mm-hmm. it, sh- it should show everyone around that person that that person actually has a superpower. You just have to help them untap it and it sounds like you've already, like, it, it's tapped. You've figured out the key. You, you know what you need to do. You know the mode that you get into. And I can imagine that is truly a superpower. And longevity game is like you will, out, you will make sure that you're here longer than anyone else. You're studying harder than anyone else. You're working harder than everyone else. And to the average person, you compound that over two, three, four years. And people look back and they're like, holy shit, how did you get so far? And you're like, this is who I am.
1: I I think that captures it very well, honestly. It's just the mentality of like just wake up, grind, put in the work, focus on the inputs rather than the outputs, you know, Mm. stay consistent. Mm. And and I think all of that, as you said, really just compounds and and leads to, you know, attaining whatever goal I want.
2: When, When did it become a reality for you to focus on the inputs and not the outputs? Like, was there a person who taught you? Was there a moment that taught you?
1: I think maybe it was around like a year ago when I really started to feel stressed about content, mainly mm. because you know, I, th- I thought I had the formula figured out, but then I would upload a video, it wouldn't perform as well. And I just had like a five day streak or like, like a week long streak of just flop after flop after flop. And I put in like three hours each day into a video and I was like, wow, I just wow. wasted like 15, 20 hours on like nothing, like I, I got nothing out of this. But then again, you know, if you kind of zoom out and instead of looking at it from like a week long perspective, you know, look at the entire month or the quarter or the year, you know, you'll you'll realize that those few hits that do come in between, like that's all you need really to to kind of sustain your growth. And Mm. so that kind of helped me shift from, you know, focusing on the output each time to more just put in the work each day and, you know, something will hit. Mm.
2: And I read, I don't know if this was, in an interview, like a written interview or somehow popped up in your videos, but I read that, actually it was probably in a written interview, read that your parents trusted you with their tax and credit card information when you were 12 or 13. And the interviewer, like the way that it was written, it was like, even though they didn't understand what Gohar was doing, his parents still trusted him. Mm-hmm. Have they always had this blind trust in, in your pursuits and what you're doing?
1: 100%. And wow.
2: It's like, I remember when I was like 12,
1: I was trying to like set up like a website and I was trying to buy like server space and like a hosting provider. And that that would be impossible to explain to like, as like a 12 year old to my parents, I'm like, I'm like th- this is like a host. It's a server. I can build websites on top of it. I was just like, I want to make a website. I need to buy this. Can I use your credit card? And I remember... I was supposed to buy like the one month plan because I was like, "Oh, I'll just spend like $10. I'll build this website. Great. And my parents were like, yeah, that's okay. And then I used their credit card and I hadn't paid attention to the fact that it was like billed annually. And so the charge came out to like over a hundred dollars. And I remember I was like super young. I started freaking out. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll try to figure out a way to fix this, but like we'll make this work somehow. And, and they were like, you know, it's okay. It's whatever.
2: Like like. We we trust you, go hard, but... Sure. Yeah, their their faith has always been there. It's so important, right? Like the people around you because then you you don't have to spend any mind space or any effort on screw these people. I'm still going to go hard. I'm still going to focus on what I'm doing, even though I have to keep thinking of how do I come up with the system and how do I like consciously almost frame what I'm doing in a positive light for them. And it doesn't allow you to just focus 100% on your... Stuff and on the craft, but it sounds like that's how you grew up, and so it's amazing that that environment was there. And now, yeah, and 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 now where you are, I'm sure your parents, it's no surprise. Yeah, and, and I think like that's a great point because
1: whenever people think about, oh, you know, he was, whenever people think about creators and they're like, oh, you know, he had everything to begin with. This is why he's successful. They always just point to like money. They're like, he had money, he had assets, he had cameras. But I think an even more fundamental and perhaps even more important element of this is just a local support network that, that supports mm. you in your pursuits. And I think mm-hmm. I had that from my parents growing up, which was infinitely more important than, you know, having enough money to buy a camera or, or you know, whatever it was, because it just gave me the opportunity to try dumb things without mm. fear of seeming dumb to my parents and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and kind of kind of experimenting.
2: Yeah. Do your do your parents see what you're doing now? Like, do they understand from the creator side? Do they understand what you're doing? One hundred percent.
1: It's like they okay, see
2: cool. me every day slapping these papers down, <laughs> drawing everything. So they they understand the whole cycle now. Yeah. Well, you're talking about when you slap the paper down, the fact that it is this view where you're looking at your desk. You don't get to see. you don't see your face. You're just hearing your voice. Talk to me about the time. Like, when did you? When did that happen? Where you went from your old style to this new style? And how many times did you iterate before you came to this core style that you're now known for?
1: So when I started TikTok, everything was just face videos. I talked straight to the camera, just like normal videos. And I remember I was in my senior fall of college when I really stepped back and I was like, you know, the growth is okay. I think I was at like 30K followers at the time, but I was like, I'm not really leveraging like my editing skills or, or really any of my skills at this point even Mm -hmm. though I had edited like tons of YouTube videos in the past. So I remember one night I was like, I'm going to sit down and instead of, you know, using the TikTok app, I'm going to try to put together like a super well edited video. And within that video, it it wasn't entirely tabletop, but there were a few tabletop shots. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of began the transition. That video did very well, kind of sparked my account up to like the next level. And Really, it was just like weeks later when I just kind of started using the tabletop format more and more often. Hmm. First, out of convenience, but then I realized it was like a great storytelling tool because I could almost craft any sort of environment that I wanted just on that table. And so I think it was really just one iteration. It was just that night that I was like, I got to change things up. And that just led to me kind of figuring out that this tabletop style actually works.
2: Yeah. Do you think you got it from... well? I recognize it from Casey Neistat, but do you think you got it from, like when you think back now, were there influences or people that you watched on YouTube that you're like, oh, maybe maybe subconsciously I liked what they were doing. I saw what they were doing and I brought it into my content. When I think back, I think
1: it might've been ASAP Science. Mm. And even though they didn't do like tabletop, they had like that whiteboard, which it almost did feel like tabletop actually. And so Mm. I, I think maybe there was some inspiration there in terms of like, Incorporating like the markers and the drawings on that tabletop sort of surface,
2: yeah. But, yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, it's interesting how again, like it's it's so easy for you now to be like, yeah, well, tried this, and yeah, it makes a lot of sense now. Like, I don't have my face doesn't have to be in it, so I don't have to get prepared. Plus, also, it probably limits the amount of like public notoriety you you ever have to deal with because you can just be your, yourself, and, and your face isn't really there all the time. But if you think back to the moment where you decided, you know, let me just switch this up, before you switched it up, you're probably like, what am I doing? But whatever, let's try this. And in like the span of maybe three hours, it's like, oh yeah, this actually actually works. And so it's wild how so quickly you can go from something that feels so irrational or random to something that's actually a springboard for the career. And actually yeah. like your it's it's yours, it's your style now. And you never have to think of your style ever again because you fell on this like really interesting random choice that you wanted to go about
1: 100% and, and I think it's really interesting because in the beginning it did feel like sort of irrational and random mm. but I feel like this style for a while it allowed me to really compartmentalize like the different components of a video like I could separate the audio from the video I could reuse like certain clips and it almost felt like instead of you know filming one cohesive video each time I was just like putting together like a Jigsaw puzzle, like these clips here, this audio there, this text there, kind of overlaid in this format. But it worked, and and it's, it's just super interesting to see how it did kind of develop into just this brand identity over the past year.
2: Yeah, it is interesting, right? You bring it back to what you were talking about when you're you're giving tips and tricks about studying, and you're like, well, I take core principles, I take first principles to study, if that if that's a way that we can term it, and and then you just put. It's something creative it's, it's modular it's like okay you take mm-hmm. this principle and then i put this thing and this story and then this visual and we're good and what the tabletop allowed you to do is essentially do that but just from a creative perspective cool we'll take this this thing this sound this visual this color this motion graphic and now in, i can kind of weave it the way i want to but the the principle of storytelling stays the same it, it's cool how there's like those parallels between between your two worlds
1: yeah, no, exactly. And, and I feel like it makes it convenient. It kind of reduces the stress in terms of like, you know, it of having to be perfect all the time. Like because I can kind of just modularize the whole thing. I can just redo the same shot like 10 times. I can redo like certain audio segments 20 times and just piece it all together and, and it kind mm. of
2: just works out. Well, you were saying how, oh yeah, a while back, it was the idea of input, not output is your mindset right now. And so what's your view on the short form boom where everything is like you're meant to believe it's all, it is the output, it is the numbers, the, the followers that you have represent who you are. You can go, you can become an overnight success in the truest form. Like you can post something next day, you have a couple mil, 10,000 people follow you and you're like, well, this is crazy. How do you, how do you think it long, or short, the short form boom is going to impact creators in the future?
1: I think with short form, there comes like a sense of inflation just from Mm. the numbers perspective. Like, there's just insane. I think there was this video uh, by Ryan, I forget the last name, but I remember Ryan Ryan Ng. Ryan Ng. Yes, yes, him. Yeah. Cool, cool. And in the video, he was smashing his 100K play button, you know, to kind of symbolize the fact that it means nothing anymore. And like, to an extent, I I, I agree. Like, I have my plaques right here and it's like it feels surreal but at the same time i'm like did i did i really earn this golden Mm -hmm. play button it's like i always saw this as some like far side out dream but now it's like i don't know i i feel like the short short form content just allowed me to have like almost like a superficial boost and Mm -hmm. that's not to say that you know the people who watch those videos aren't real or that there isn't a community there yeah but it, it, it almost just feels too fast and it's like how yeah. long is it going to kind of continue this way? Like, are we just going to have short form creators, you know, overtaking some of the, the biggest YouTubers on the platform? Like, who knows?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, it, it's tough when you meet a creator that has 500K on YouTube, pre, like all long form. And then you meet a creator that has 500K or has a million or even has 1.5 million on TikTok. And from the outside, it seems like, wow, like maybe the person with 1.5K on on TikTok actually is doing better as a creator than the 500K on YouTube. But then you realize, wait, that relative influence is so different. The influence on TikTok, I don't even know if you can call it influence anymore. It's almost like purely it's just an audience. But you've built and you've worked so hard over a long period of time that people that get that that YouTube, that, that, that play button, if it's purely long form. And it, if, I, I assume on the creator side, it, it's pretty disheartening when you can put those two values and equate them, but you're like, nah, man, like I worked hard. Like I worked so hard to get to that thing yeah. and now it's happening in, in a month, in two months.
1: And I think also not only are like the numbers like sometimes just not equatable, it also feels like the numbers now are just very very inconsistent mm. like I almost feel like with long-form creators like you know if they get to 500k subs solely off of long-form content they've built a sense of community to the point where like they they will get like 100k views on each video but I feel like with short form there is such a disconnect between follower count and views and mm. quite frankly I feel like there's no connection at all like, like if, if the average retention rate on the short form video or if the completion rate isn't up to par it does not matter how many followers you have. Like it's going mm. to flop. Yeah. Whereas with long form, it's like you have the option to, you know, see the thumbnail from your favorite creator and be like, hey, I'm going to click on this video because I, I, I enjoy his video and, and I'll check it out. Whereas with short form, it's solely like y- your audience doesn't get the chance to actually choose to watch your videos. It's like the mm. algorithm choosing to present it to your audience, which yeah. kind of creates that super... Inconsistent disconnect between
2: follower count and views. For sure, you should watch. There's an episode of. Does the name Rich Roll sound familiar? Not, not exactly. No. Okay, Rich Roll is a. He's like a, a very well-known ultra marathon um, mm-hmm. runner, athlete. He's written a book. He has his. He has his own podcast. Great podcast. A lot of cool guests. And Casey, nice hat, just jumped on. I think it was today or they released it yesterday or something recently. Mm-hmm. And he says something so similar to you is obviously Rich is like, so Casey, you're the godfather of YouTube. What do you think of this short form boom? And he goes, man, it, he goes, I don't know what it's going to do, but it's going to do something to us because we don't have any choice anymore. Like if you step back and you compare our lives today, five years and five years previous, like the amount of choice, we feel like we have a lot of choice, but he came up with such a good point, similar to what you're saying. Like, there's no choice. So what are we actually, like, what are we actually watching? Is it, is it really us or are we made, are we, and this is going deep, but like, is it made, are we being made to believe that this is what we like or this is what we should see or this is what we should watch? Or maybe in actual fact, if we did have that choice, but it was harder to find creators, maybe that struggle would actually be more beneficial to us.
1: I think that reminds me of a quote. It was something along the lines of, you know, with YouTube, you watch what you think you want to see, but on like short form or on TikTok, you watch what you actually want to see. Like, it was something along mm. those lines of like, you know, with YouTube, you, you have choice and that choice allows you to kind of curate your taste. Whereas mm. with the TikTok algorithm, like it knows what you really want to see instead of what you think you want to see. And, and then it presents that in front of you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild world, man. We're in a very interesting, I think we're in a very interesting time, but- on that point, I was thinking about this today. I can like imagine what the world was like when YouTube started to take off. Like imagine 2009, let's call it mm-hmm. three, four, five years. 2010, after YouTube started, and before then, there was never anything like it where you could create a so-called movie and put it out there. And the stuff that was blowing up was like emotional orange and all these like random videos. Right? I bet you the I, I'd, I wish we could go back in time to that 2010 period. And see how people were talking about what YouTube is going to do to people, to kids, to our our sense of conditioning and sense of self. It, something tells me that it would be very similar, because the relative change from long form to short form, and then going from gate kept to you can actually put out long form content, it feels like it feels similar. Yeah,
1: and so so do you think like. The, the conversation is similar almost from like back then to what it is now? Like, are, are you seeing like a repeat of, of that conversation?
2: I need to. So I haven't done any research on this. I was actually just thinking about this today. I was like, this would be a fun thing on the weekend. Just try to go back into archives and hear, see how people were talking about YouTube in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And I have to believe that it was similar because there was never anything like it. There's never anything that took off. You could become a, a meme, essentially. Charlie bit my finger. Like you could become a meme in a week and it could get millions of views, which it did. Mm -hmm. And maybe it wasn't happening as fast, but because us as a society, we we had never experienced fame like that ever before. I bet you the same thing now, where now that it's accelerated and everyone's famous in two days and everyone has an audience in two days, I, I don't know. I feel like I need a. it's a weekend activity. It's definitely something, and that sounds so nerdy, but it's definitely a weekend activity that I, I definitely want to study because I feel like it'd be similar. But right now it's tough, man. It's so hard to think like, how is this, how is short form content going to change our perception? Gonna condition us for the next 10, 15 years?
1: Yeah. And I think a question that I also have all the time is, yeah, is short form content, like, is is it the ultimate form of content? Because mm. I always feel like, you know, like years ago when it was just YouTube and Instagram, like I, I would constantly think to myself just for fun. I'm like, could I think of like the next social media app? I'm I'm like, what's like the next innovation? Like what's what's Mm -hmm. like the next product? Interesting. Yeah. And I remember when like Vine was out, I was like, this is crazy. And I I really thought that we had plateaued or reached like the limit of what was capable on social media. And I feel like TikTok has almost crossed into like a new frontier in terms of Mm -hmm. like hyper optimizing, you know, usage. Like per day, and and, and, I feel, and I can't think of anything more addicting, quite honestly. And I feel like, like sure. is this the ultimate form of media? Like, like, is there going to be a next level to this? Like, mm.
2: so interesting you say that. There was I was at a conference uh, two months ago, and I was on stage interviewing a creator. And the last question that was asked to us, the guy goes, "All right, I'm going to hit you with a philosophical question." And we we're like, "All right, <laughs> hit us with a philosophical question." And the guy goes. All reports are that our short, our attention span is shorter than ever. If we don't like something in 15, in one point, in like 0.5 of a second, we flick off. Our attention spans can't get any shorter. Like we're at the shortest it's ever been. He's like, so what does that mean? Does that mean we die and we have to resurrect to go back to life where like now we're new humans or or where does it go? And the creator was like, oh, I have no idea. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like this question a lot. Like that's a, it's a fun question to to think about. If I'm asking you that question now, what would your answer be?
1: So it's super interesting. So attention spans, yes, continuing to decrease. And I think it's happening very aggressively because mm. the videos that I posted last year, because sure, my tabletop format has been similar over the past year, but there has been like a lot of evolution in terms of like, my drawings becoming way more colorful or me being way more emotional in my kind of pitch Mm -hmm. and and me kind of moving things way faster. And I feel like to someone who just kind of use my content here and there, they might not notice, but I feel like the content and like the pacing that I used last year would not work today anymore. And and I feel Mm -hmm. like, I feel like every single day, every single month or every six months, I just have to be up the saturation, be brighter, (laughs) be more colorful, be more fun. And, it's ridiculous because yeah, yeah. on YouTube, it talks about like, oh, the first 30 seconds are important to hook in your viewer. M- my videos are less than 30 seconds. Like, I, I wish <laughs> I had 30 seconds to hook in a viewer. Like I literally yeah. have to think on the scale of like second by second, like three seconds. Like that's all I have to hook in the viewer. Four seconds, video is
2: done. Nuts. It's over. Nuts.
1: Like it's Nuts. insane.
2: Yeah, man, I, I wonder where this goes because there, there's no way it's sustainable. And you brought up Ryan Ng who is definitely on the, on the revolution side, on the side mm-hmm. saying, no, 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 bring back quality storytelling. It doesn't matter about, can, I, can, you, can you capture attention today? Can you capture the beast model? Can you capture attention all the way, every single, like all the way through the 10 minutes to 20 minutes of this movie. And it's interesting to see, like, how do you, again, how, how do you go against a system that works so well and is shown everyone here's kind of success but how do you have the patience and the long-term vision to say, you know what, no, like it might be like this for the next two years or it might be like this for the next period, but I'm building a catalog. I'm going to build a slow fan base. I'm going to build a slow audience that's going to know me for this so that come the time something changes in society and or things blow up, I'm positioned really well to be like the voice, mm-hmm. of, the voice of reason. That must be so hard, man. It's like I almost feel like...
1: And this might be a slightly pessimistic, t- pessimistic, pessimistic oh. take. Yeah, but go ahead. I don't think like this current era of Mr. Beast-esque content or like super fast-paced content or super saturated content is mm. going to die out anytime soon. I huh. do think like the opposing side is forming. I, I do think there is like a counterculture element of like, you know, bring back the raw storytelling. And, and I, I I sympathize with it. Like I, I feel that deeply. Mm. And I, I think that side will continue to grow. But I feel like in this era where like people are becoming creatorpreneurs and like kind of treating content as like a startup, mm. I, I think this era of Mr. Beast type content is not going to die, but just continue to rise. Because because I feel like huh. he's boiled it down to a science, yeah. whereas like the more storytelling side of things, whereas like the other side of the creator space is more an art. And, and, mm. and I feel like people don't appreciate enough like, like the technical perfection of like a Mr. Beast video or like of these fast paced videos. And mm. I think it caters so strongly to like our short attention spans or to kind of like our, our deepest
2: emotions that, yeah. that the format itself is not gonna die. Hmm, Like that take a lot. I like the idea that you're bringing in, right? There's There's room for, there's room for science, there's room for art. And there's honestly, and then there's room in the middle. And that, that I think it's that room in the middle that always becomes world class, always becomes like the the content, the thing to make the biggest impact in the world. Because you're understanding both brains, you're at both sides of the brain. But very, very interesting way of looking at it. I like that a lot. Does that mean that you think your content is gonna actually do better? Because now our attention spans are uh, the worst it's ever been. But when you're talking about these productivity hacks and these memory hacks or Maybe hacks aren't the right word, but tips and tricks mm-hmm. that people are gonna grab it and be like, oh really there's this? Yeah, I can't think beyond a second because I'd rely on my phone. Oh, this is an amazing video. Do you think your content's gonna become more valuable to people over time if if we're thinking on this kind of pessimistic view?
1: It's tough because I feel like I've almost taken like like an opposite mindset in terms of I've realized with educational content in general, and just to make this content actually work. Yeah, I've had to take like the pessimistic view of people don't care about learning or being lectured to. And I feel like if I open up a video with like, a, oh, here's like this trick that you can use to like boost your memory. Or here's a trick that you can use to, you know, lengthen your attention span. I almost like my mind is like, no, people are not going to watch that. Huh. Like, like huh. but deep down, yes, I do hope that over the long term, my content does become more valuable. You know, yeah. if you look, if you take things from this angle. Yeah. But I feel like given the way that people are just hyper-optimizing for the algorithm, I'm mm-hmm. just gonna have to keep getting more and more creative or more colorful or just, you know, <laughs> more evocative somehow in my videos to, to stay yeah. relevant, which yeah. is
2: unfortunate, but but kind of the reality of the algorithm. Fair. Fair enough. Have you been asked to come back to MIT or go to other Ivy League schools to talk about? Being a creator or talk or essentially give a lecture and or talk about essay writing, have they acknowledged your like the, the brilliance and the success that you've had and tried to work with you to help their students who are coming up? So I haven't worked with educational
1: institutions only because I think there's a rift between you know college admissions from like the institution standpoint and like private consultants. Like they never really like work together. It's really much like. Mm interesting institutions state of themselves. But I have worked with like brands on the other hand, in terms of like, you know, promoting their products. But, but, but I guess that that's the closest I've gotten to like, actually, you know, like lecturing or, or kind of bringing my information somewhere else.
2: Would you want to, like, do you see a future where it becomes more of an academy where you you are, you're standing in front of people, like you're taking people through a curriculum. I would love to see that reality
1: come to fruition.
2: Cool. Yeah.
1: I do think it would be more fulfilling and you know, to take, take things at a slower pace and to just really get the opportunity to air up my thoughts, I, mm-hmm. I think that would be great You know, sometime down the line.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I, it seems like the, to me, the education space is so interesting because it's more evergreen. If yep. you, you look at professors, professors have been teaching for years. They, they love it. There's a reason they keep coming back and they don't make amazing money. Like well, some maybe do, but they don't make amazing money. So there has to be a reason they keep coming back and keep wanting to to work with different kids or different students every single year. And I think there is that like there's that redemptive element. So it's cool that Mm -hmm. there's there's that redemptive element for you while honing in on your creativity and allowing that to be a funnel, a pure funnel to your business, which then can make Mm -hmm. you more money. Like it seems like you've set up so far where you're going in a very logical, but also I would say like fulfilling way mm-hmm. because you still get to do everything that you want to do.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think it does like with the way that I'm taking my videos now, it does allow for some form of expression in terms of being able to think of like creative or quirky ways to, to make videos fun. And mm-hmm. so I think I do get that element of expression while, you know, funneling into the business, being more operational, logical and, and kind of finding fulfillment on both ends.
2: Yeah. How often is it that you're getting reached out to by students saying, hey, I want to learn how to become a content creator. Can you help me?
1: Students? I feel like not frequently. I, th- I think when students reach out to me, it's, it's homework help, college app help, study tips.
2: I, I feel like cool. that, that's the constant routine. Yeah. Cool. And how do you h- how do you see that working within your system? Like, do you take time to engage with those people? Do you see that as valuable? Do you take that as like research and then take some of their ideas and some of their concerns back into your your content? What's that relationship like?
1: So I do try to take like 15 to 20 minutes a day just responding to pretty much as many DMs as I can. Cool, But it's at a point where I don't get the chance to respond to everyone. But I think just having that sort of one-on-one community engagement is is super important. And so I do try to make the time.
2: Mm. Tell me this. So you're someone who is like seen as a guru when it comes to learning and when it comes to memory and when it comes to essay writing and such what is a recent skill that you've picked up and how did you go about learning it
1: hmm. like a like an academic skill or just are we talking any any random could any, skill
2: could be anything man <laughs> it could be anything
1: like since i've been out of school i haven't really focused on like any sort of academic skill okay uh, when I think about recent skills, I feel like I've recently picked up on Premiere finally. So that, nice. that's
2: been super helpful from, from Sony and Vegas, which was way clunkier. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. How do you go about learning that skill? Like just for you, when you're learning something new, do you lock yourself in a room and just surround yourself with everything? Is, do, you, do you find you follow a process? Like how does the guy that helps everyone else essentially learn things, learn new stuff?
1: So I think the best way to learn is to learn by doing and, you know, in an academic sense, it's like doing a bunch of math practice problems. But in this case, it was literally just taking actual TikToks, pulling up YouTube tutorials and just editing them fully to like the best of my ability and Mm -hmm. just repeating it over and over again until I got used to like the shortcuts and the little tricks and learned about like adjustment layers and and all the different terminology. So yeah, just learning by doing, I think really helps
2: a lot. Mm. I can see. I can definitely see. What's a skill that you, or what's, what's something next that you want to pick up on the creative side?
1: So two skills fascinate me. Cool. One, I feel like I've seen a lot of VFX like editors leverage like three D modeling hmm. to to just create really cool effects and and renders. Cool. So I think on the creative side, just maybe learning Blender or like Cinema yeah. 4D, whatever it might be, would be super cool. Same. And learning more about color grading. Like recently on my For You page, there have been a lot of like color grading TikToks for some reason, where this one guy goes really into like fine detail. And hmm. I'm like, wow, I thought, I thought I knew stuff about color grading, but I don't know anything compared to this guy. So, like, I think it would be fun to learn more.
2: <laughs> I think there's, there's something so cool when you meet someone that is an expert in their field, but they want to go deeper than many other people think is possible, like you talking about color grading. If I didn't know you and we didn't have this conversation, I would have been like and someone, let's say one of your friends, one of your creative friends that I met, were like, Oh yeah, by the way, randomly yeah, go out learning color grading and be like, what? Why is he learning yeah. color grading? That doesn't make any sense. But it shows the the skill the master of the craft mentality that you really yeah. have, That it's not it's not it's never enough, but not in a bad way. But like there's always something more I can learn. There's always something more that I can do to get ahead or be a little bit different, which I think is an amazing skill to like to have.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of this inspiration, if you like looked at the behind the scenes for Mr. B Squid Game video, all the CGI, I think a lot of inspiration also comes from there. I'm like, wow, like you cool. can make masterpieces and, and there's just so many other creative skills that I haven't honed yet. But if yeah. I could at least become familiar, you know, perhaps I could take future videos in like a totally unforeseen like, you know, creative direction
2: that'd be wild if in a couple of years yeah. we take a look and and everything is everything's 3d rendered <laughs> instead of like the tabletop just lives in its own little verse and then you uh-huh. can put whatever you want on it so you don't you don't actually need the table in your room <laughs> that'd be wild
1: imagine yeah Super sounds kind of convenient yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> well my guess my guess is that it'll happen it seems like that stuff is happening is becoming a lot more readily available you know how to learn a skill very well and, and you can tell but just based on a conversation that when you want to learn something, it you're, you're going to learn it. So, so I'm excited. I'm excited for future metaverse, I'll call it, metaverse Khan videos.
1: Appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> that should be fun.
2: <laughs> so let me... I end off always with five questions. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're rapid fire-ish. Like, you don't have to give me an answer. Like, a long answer, should I say. Definitely an answer, not a long answer. Um, okay. The, and the first one is... Where, like what environment are you the most creative in? To give you an idea for me, it's walking or somewhere where like there's movement, but not enough movement that puts strain on like my cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm.
1: I think honestly, when I'm in my room and I'm just pacing back and forth with a notebook, like that, that, that just always works for me.
2: Cool, cool. The second question is what is, and you can take this either way, either what is a book that's, Impacted your life, or what is an album or an artist that's impacted your life? Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Cool. Great book. Yeah. Cool. If I were to say, all right, I'm going to give you the opportunity to give a TED talk, either what would the title be, or what would you talk about during those 10, 15 minutes? I would want
1: to talk about either Gen Z's relationship with social media, or from a more technical standpoint, just how to make short sure form content that goes viral. Okay. I just give
2: a lecture on that. Yeah, <laughs> big fan, big fan. Question four is: Who is a creator right now that you think is underrated?
1: Sunny V2, I think he has way more potential. Cool. And I, I think he's gonna blow up. Yeah. I like Even that. Yes.
2: I, I like that. I like that a lot. Where it's like the people will say, "Oh, there's someone who," someone say, "Like, oh, can I can I say someone already who's like successful?" And you're like, "Yeah, 100," percent because that could be step one of like where they're, they're at. In but you think that they're going in a very different in a di- very different place, I think that's super exciting. Cool, some of you too. The last question is kind of similar, but who's a creator that you would want to invest in that you know now that you say, oh, like if I could give them whatever resources they need today, I think like that would be the unlock for them to pop off.
1: I'll be honest, I'm just really trying hard to not say Mr. Beast, okay. like given <laughs> cool. you know, cool. all the visions that he's put out there. But yeah, yeah. Nah. If I had all the money in the world, I had to bet on one person. Yeah.
2: Not okay. other than Mr. Beast. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. We're, we end the, cover, uh, end the conversation in the same way all the time. What is your most viewed video and why do you think it's your most viewed video? All right.
1: So it's how to answer any question on a test. It's okay. It's a short, which has 34 million views. Damn. <laughs> and I think it's just very universal. Mm. Like, cool. regardless of country, anything, you know, everyone's taking tests. So yeah, okay,
2: universal element. Okay, I'm a fan of that. Man, it has been a pleasure having you on. It is so cool to see how you traverse the academic or type A side, but then you have the creative element to you too that never gets stifled. It's like they walk step in step with each other. And I think it's so rare to find someone. That has both of those things that you can go off in any direction, but always have that background. So, I'm very, I'm a fan. I'm very excited to see where you go, and just thank you for spending the the hour with me here. It's gonna be a cool timestamp to look back or to listen back to in five, ten years, wherever you are, whatever TED talks you end that you end up giving.
1: Of course, and and thank you so much for having me. Like like I truly love this conversation, and I feel like I don't get the chance to talk about the creator economy much with like you know people around me, but. Super dope to
0: have this conversation. What I kept thinking about throughout that episode is how Gohar is so successful switching between being an operator and building a business, a traditional business at that, and being an incredible creator and video editor and storyteller and still crushing it on both sides and putting out a lot of content or updating his business and creating new revenue streams on the business side day in and day out. How he context switches, or let's call it, switches between different environments, the creative environment and more of the business operator mindset is amazing to me because I find it so hard. And when you have experience struggling with something and you see someone succeed at that, you respect them so much more. You know, I think there's so much for Gohar going forward. Just graduated out of MIT, so I'm really excited to see where he goes. But for the time being, thank you for listening to another episode of Creator Culture. If you're here at this point, or really like this episode, or really like the show, it'd be great if you could leave a review, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And in the next couple of episodes, I'm trying to find people that have carved out niches for themselves. And Whether they've been creating content for a long time, or recently, these are people that are really making an impact in their space. And so I'm really excited for you to listen to the conversations. But with that, as always, have an amazing week. We'll catch you soon.